How's it going, everybody? It's Christian Wagner, and I'm the Militant Thomist, and I'm joined by Jack. Jack, introduce yourself. My name is Jack, and then uh, I'm a lay Lutheran, and then uh, very uh, grateful to be invited to the to the show. And then, uh, yeah, that's about it. What's your uh, theological background? Kind of uh, just internet and reading sort of stuff. YouTube. Is well, that how you I can yeah, I've spent a lot of time online, and then a lot of my Facebook posts are uh, theology related. But yeah, I, think I follow I'm, you. I'm, yeah, stuff. I'm actually a, a, quite a recent convert to uh, confessional Lutheranism. I've been pretty interested in Lutheranism for a long time, but then uh, I, because of the COVID, there's been a delay. So um, I was actually finally uh, became a member at a LCMS parish in uh, Iowa. Uh, I think uh, last uh, January or something like that. So, uh, what's your but, uh, what's your background before that? Oh, evangelical Baptist leaning kind of a Christian. <laughs> yes, I, I attended a Baptist church for uh, three years. Southern I Baptist. I can tell the um, tell yeah. from some of your posts that uh, you don't you don't like Baptists too much, well, or you love uh, them, you just don't no, like well, them in person. In person, love them, but then have some uh, uh, there's tension with them when it comes to some doctrines and such. Yeah. Okay, so. Let's let's see if this works. Get the uh, get the video up. I'm gonna share my other screen. If any of you were in the live chat last night, it was there. It goes. Is that working? Can everybody see that? Let me know in the chat. And how did everybody like the intro? They're like thirty seconds behind, so. I'm a Baptist and Jack loves me. And James, <laughs> I'm assuming yeet yeet means that it's good. Is Jack a Lutheran? Yes, he's a confessional yes, I Lutheran. Am. Okay, let's get going. Um, full screen. Uh, let me see. Yep, that looks good. Okay, I will press play. And let me know if you want to stop, Jack. I'll just kind of stop periodically when he starts to make statements. Okay, yeah. And then we'll get on it. thing is that you i'm about i'm a reformed baptist like you proud big mistake for the beast. <laughs> i also love my um my presbyterian brothers because oftentimes you know we i agree with the presbyterians more things than often i do the um most baptists i think you would yeah. experience that to some level as well yeah but i can i can call them brothers because sure. even though they're because they even though they baptize their children, they do not believe in baptismal regeneration. I'm going to stop right there. So notice the statement that the caller is making that Presbyterians do not believe in baptismal regeneration. So what what guys like James White in the more popular level, um, Reformed people, especially Reformed Baptists, are going to make you think is that historically the Presbyterian and Reformed position is just the same as you would get with a memorialist Baptist position. False. Completely false. In the words of the Scots Confession, we utterly damn those who say that the sacraments give no grace. And you read John Davenant, if you read uh, Calvin, if you read almost any Reformed person, for example, Turretin is going to say that bapti baptism is the external instrument whereby grace is applied, and then faith is the internal instrument grasping on to that grace given. So notice, 
that this isn't the historic position that he's giving. He's giving some pop American evangelical position. And also a, a Calvin on, I think his commentary on Romans six quite explicitly uh, stated that uh, the effect of baptism is uh, that, that the sins are destroyed and we're engrafted into Christ. I mean, these, these statements are, these statements are, how should, how should I put this? Just a, in complete contradiction with uh, what you see in many of the modern, like a uh, revivalist influenced Presbyterians, where they basically have a view of baptism, which is uh, just that uh, they're Baptists, they're Baptist babies, uh, that it's just kind of empty, sign doesn't really do anything. Uh, so it's, it's not a historical view as mentioned, even among the, the reformed camp. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, this is right. Presbyterians are closer to Catholics on baptism than they are to reformed Baptists. And by Catholics, he means Roman Catholics. So, yeah, when it comes to Lutherans and uh, people with a strong background in classical uh, reform thought and Roman Catholics and Eastern Orthodox, we are much closer. We are on this side and then the evangelical uh, revivalistic Baptist types are on this side. Like, I, I want to make that very clear. And that's kind of a big thing in uh, in my apologetic. Not that I do apologetics much. But um, when I'm dealing with Protestants, I want to make it very clear that there are two types of Protestants. And I have a lot more in common with the one type, which is the classical historical type, such as confessional Lutherans and classical uh, Reformed, than I do the evangelical uh, type. We, th that distinction has to be made very clearly, and I'm sure you appreciate that, Jack. Yes. Well, even like among um, like classical Protestants, like Reformed and Lutherans, have a different uh, nuance and different differences in baptism. And even so, it's it's again, uh, you see that disconnect between modern evangelicalism with historical uh, Protestant view on baptism. Because uh, you've, I think almost all streams of Protestantism back then affirmed some kind of a baptismal regeneration or efficacy. Not saying they're the same. But then at least they from some form of efficacy that comes with baptism. Yeah. yeah. And Caden says all this caller wants Reformed Baptist ex cathedra statement of approval <laughs> from James White. Okay, let's let's get going. Most of them. Most of them. I'm I'm yeah, a little concerned yeah. about some of the uh, some of the federal visionists, but that's another. Yeah, he's just the federal visionist, not like you know every single Protestant in history. Oh yeah, except like 250 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doug, Doug Wilson, yeah, that whole deal. Yeah. Well, Doug and Doug's Doug's the Doug's the least radical of that group. So that's yeah, like, yeah. I'm I'm not even thinking about Wilson at that point. I, I think yeah, Wilson's yeah, yeah, my yeah. brother. Uh, I was just naming the right biggest known one. Wait, wait, wait. He said, "I think Wilson's my brother." Is is he implying that um that non that baptismal regeneration affirming protestants are not his brother is that is that is that what he's saying about like lutherans and stuff it seems <laughs> seems to be with me it's kind of yeah silly. yeah well i think this is about to get good yeah um but the people who really really believe in baptismal regeneration according to what i've been reading um is lutherans oh, yes yeah. and martin luther especially yeah. um, depends Depends on which Can't Martin Luther and which Lutheran. What? <laughs> what? Okay, Jack, you've, you've oh, met a lot goodness. more Lutherans oh. than I have. Have 
Are there any Lutherans that you have met that deny baptism or regeneration? Go. No, by by, by uh, definition, <laughs> uh, if you um, if you deny baptism or regeneration, you are not a Lutheran because Martin Luther made it very clear in uh, small catechism. Yeah, um, which which a, Luther? Can you? I I've read actually a good bit of Luther for uh, some of my undergraduate education and and uh, grad education, and I've never read in Luther anything besides a very strict baptismal regeneration point of view. That would be correct. And um, again, uh, I think he's going to go into detail later on. But then this Luther, as far as I know, held a consistent view on baptism throughout his life. I'm not aware that he changes view midway or something like that uh, but like again if you are a lutheran then you you, you have to affirm baptismal regeneration it's, it's, in, it's in our confessions but again yeah uh, this is something it, that um a lot of catholics and then lower church protestants don't understand but if you're going to go for the protestant position on something you go to what are called confessions if they're lutheran you go to the book of concord and then uh and then uh, Luther's large and small catechism. If you're going for Presbyterians, Westminster large or shorter, and then uh, the Westminster Confession. If you're going to go to Continental Reform, go to Heidelberg, Synod of Dort, and uh, Canons of Dort, uh, Canons of Dort, and uh, what's what's the uh, Guido Lebray? What did what did he say? Guido Lebre, what what was his confession? Belgic, Belgic confession. Yeah, this this is where you go if you want their official statement. You don't go to some pop reformed or pop Lutheran YouTuber. That's not where you get official statements. Yes. Uh, uh, someone like John MacArthur does not represent the reformed, uh, yes. Reformed view on many things, but anyway. I can't think of I can't think of any pop Lutherans. Like, is there any Lutherans out there saying stupid stuff? Not as, I don't think so, because the 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 because uh, there's there's not that many um, like Lutherans don't have that much of a presence on YouTube anyway. I think uh, the, your main mainstream uh, stuff, uh, theological videos on YouTube are probably just going to be evangelical, yeah, uh, related content. I guess then, I guess for I, you guys, it's kind of like the transgender bishop type Lutherans. Oh yeah, yeah, the, yeah, uh, yeah, ELCS. Those, yeah, yeah. But as far as I know, like confession Lutheran pastors, I, have, I don't think they posted anything. Uh, as far as I know, that are contrary to the confession. But yeah. So I, does we, Jack, we really don't have a pop like confession Lutheran figure on YouTube? I guess kind of uh, Jordan Cooper. Is yeah, Jordan your, Cooper. Is your guy. Yeah. He's not yeah, really maybe. pop though. He's he's traditional. Yeah, yeah. Confessional Lutheran. Yeah. So does Jack? He said Jake, but I'm assuming he means Jack. Mm -hmm. Does Jack follow the Book of Concord line by line? If I'm not mistaken, it affirms the perpetual virginity of Mary. It, it I think it actually did. Uh, I, I forgot which which book it would be because uh, uh, then Luther himself held to a perpetual virginity. But then, for as far as I know, uh, that it's not a dogmatic requirement for Lutherans. Yeah, I think that many Lutherans believe uh, hold to perpetual virginity. But then it's, it's not unlike unlike the Catholic Church. Roman Catholic Church is not a dogma that we have to subscribe yeah. to. Yeah. If, if I'm not mistaken, there's a difference between the Latin and the German version yes, of, yes. of yeah, the Book of Concord, and that kind of puts the uh, the doctrinal status of it a little more up in the air than you would baptism or regeneration. Again, it's a pious, uh, we view it as a pious opinion that uh, yeah. you can hold to, but then... Uh... Uh, it's not as dogmatic for us as something like Theotokos. Like you have to affirm the crisis Mary of God for us, but then 
as far as I know, it's uh, it's not a dogmatic thing that you have to believe in, but many Lutherans do what Luther himself did. So, yep. Okay, let's keep going. Right. Yeah. And and so like, and having speaking to somebody who has not only learned an immense amount of church history, but taught church history, expert in church history, in Martin Luther's refined. Like I guess you could say in his last days, because I mean, like that's what I mean. You would want you want to want to look at the first um, copy of the Institutes of the Christian Religion for Calvin. You'd want to look at the last Institute to get to know what his refined theology was. So towards the end of his days, what would would you say that he believes in baptismal regeneration, Luther, and a more and a more important question: Does should baptismal regeneration should we use that as a means to put people outside the pale of orthodoxy? Hmm. So to the first question, what do you say, Jack? Did Luther in his mature reflection affirm baptismal regeneration? Yeah, always affirmed baptismal regeneration because, because again, it is assumed position for Yeah, Luther. wasn't um wasn't the small and large catechism, wasn't that something later in his life, if I'm if I'm not mistaken? I, I think so. That's that's been later uh I forgot which year they're written, but then they're they're written for a small catechism for instruction for like elementary instruction for laity and then large catechism for like a, for for pastors and such. Mm. But still, uh, in both of those uh, books, it's the baptism of generations uh, explicitly affirmed. And also, uh, if you were to read uh, like Augsburg Confession, especially the Apolo also in the Apology and and such, yeah, uh, it's just it's affirmed because it's 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 an, it's it's a default position from the Nicene Creed. So yeah. the, the question of can you, if you affirm baptism regeneration, can you be within the bounds of orthodoxy? You should, you should really rephrase the question. It's like can you deny baptism regeneration and still yeah. be within the bounds of orthodox Christianity? Because it's explicitly affirmed in the Nicene Creed. And, yeah, it's it's the okay. opposite for me. People yeah. that have yeah. a mere memorialist view that is yeah. outside of the pale of orthodoxy and the small c Catholicity, like it, it's really the exact opposite. It's kind of funny how they're sitting sitting on their high horses saying oh do we do we affirm lutherans and catholics and orthodox and like literally everybody else before 1500 hmm, what what should we do okay i'm gonna i'm gonna see what his answer is to this um i i do not claim to be a luther scholar because you shouldn't. Uh, there is so much uh to be read in luther and there's Clearly. so much both development and contradiction in Luther, uh, that I, I, anyone who does apologetics and then also claims to be a Luther scholar, it's one or the other. I, I, don't, I don't think I, how you could possibly do both, but um, I, would, I would struggle a little bit with the idea that what you want is Luther's final perspective because, to be honest with you, uh, the pre-1525 Luther, I think, resonates right. a whole lot more uh, biblically than than the post and it's not ha it doesn't have anything to do with uh, theological maturity if anything it has to do with such a pressure in regards to the relationship between church and state right um, that between him and what's his name the Duke guy well not just that and not just not just later Melanchthon's influence that's a, that's a whole nother issue but uh, given what happened with the peasants revolt and what Luther said about it and then southern Germany breaking away, and there just seems to be a real change 
uh, in Luther's perspective on certain things because of what took place politically uh, in his context. And so when we say, well, we want to go with the tour. Yeah, so he he states a bunch of stuff that has nothing to do with baptism, and then somehow that has to do with him becoming unbiblical. Yeah, this idea that before 1925, you know, 1525 luther was just this pure baptist (laughs) theologian that's just a complete joke it's a complete joke like if most of my reading in luther has been his uh 1517 treatises i think i've read his 1517 treatises uh about two times and then um babylonian captivity uh, i've read a third time and he's pretty explicit in babylonian captivity the church that baptism isn't just this mere symbol or he's not trying to downplay baptism or generation and then uh putting at odds at all sola fide baptism or generation he's not doing that at all and it's very silly of him to even hint at that mm-hmm. yep it's, again you don't need to be a luther scholar to to just read his writing and then it's yeah it, it's not like that <laughs> i'm not a luther scholar you're not a luther scholar He's yeah. obviously not a Luther scholar. Yep. All, all you really have to do is give a reading of his major works. I mean, there's, what, 70 volumes of Luther. There's a crap ton of Luther. But um, read his 1517 works. Read uh, some of his commentaries, maybe, of Galatians and the Psalms. Read uh, his the, the catechetical works that he produced. And you have a nice, basic view of what Luther believed as a theologian. Mm-hmm. And you shouldn't even be commenting on him if you haven't. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Ew. Here's a question: Is that a new sports coat? Oh, is that? Uh, it's Isaac. Oh uh, no, no, it's the it's, it's, it's the one I've been owning for a few months right now. And he was so he was my roommate, and a good friend of mine. And then uh, he was with me uh, when I purchased the sports coat. So I think that's a kind of side <laughs> thing. Yes. Well. And he likes any uh, another one likes the, your <laughs> pin. Oh, uh, it's uh, again another one of my roommates. Yes. And then, uh, they're good friends of mine from from uh, when I was when I lived in Ames, Iowa, a year ago. Yeah. Okay, Caden. It's funny because he's using low tier Catholic argumentation against Protestants that it wasn't theological but political. Yeah, uh, I mean yeah. that that's a Catholic argument that it it's not too good, but it has a grain of truth behind it. Uh, against Protestantism, that it was purely a political movement in order to gain political power. And that's what James White is is, is saying against Luther, which is rich. I, I thought John MacArthur actually wrote an article, uh, basically it goes like this, that uh, Luther at first didn't believe in uh, infant baptism, but what? because of the pressure for the state, the state church was persecuting people or something like that. And then Luther changed his view. I'm not, not making this up. <laughs> what actually yeah 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 i'm not kidding i'm not kidding he actually wrote an article on that how luther changed his view on infant baptism because of uh, the state church and all that movement so 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 again there's some wild stuff out there so will one of you in the chat go uh just one of you not all of you at the same time one of you in the chat decide amongst yourselves go and try to get that article from john MacArthur and uh send it in the chat for everybody i'd be very interested to to see it also, uh, Eric wants to know what you're drinking. Uh, it's uh, Coca-Cola with coffee. Yeah. So uh, that's um, for Michael Hall, he, another guy I had on. He was drinking uh, beer 
while he was drinking bourbon and he was washing it down with beer. Oh, oh well, it's too early for me to drink right now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, stream... for you, it's what, like 3.30? Yeah, 3.26 right now. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for me, it's, it's 6.26. Yeah. So uh, ver another important question. Did you make that wine from grape juice? Okay, they're just doing that. They're just distracting, <laughs> they're, they're distracting me right now. But... Yeah, come on, guys. Yeah. Do not distract us. There's very important stuff going on right now. Okay, I'm going to play it. Luther. Um, I'd rather go with the most biblical Luther, who oh. is not the as influenced by the political... Affirming Luther. Anyway, keep going, keep going. Keep going. Uh, situation around him as any other Luther. So that, that's where I, I struggle a little bit with the idea of saying, well, you know, at the end of his life, he wrote all those anti-Semitic things, which were just reflective of the general culture of his day, unfortunately. Um, but still, um, is, is that what you really want to look at? And as far as I can tell, you can prove when you, when you talk about baptismal regeneration for Luther, now you're raising all the issues of infantile faith, the relationship between justification by faith and infantile faith and sacramentalism and I don't, I've listened to a lot of folks, you know, Chris Rose. Yeah, I'm going to stop right there. What do you think about the relationship between does, does justification by faith alone and baptismal regeneration contradict one another? Go. No. In fact, uh, if you read Luther, these two actually go hand in hand. That's a proper understanding of baptismal regeneration is how you have sola fide proper. How do you have uh, extra, uh, extra nos, uh, that the assurance of your salvation, justification, lies outside of you and then uh, it just seems like people don't understand like, like they have a they don't have a good definite grasp of what baptism regeneration means and what lutherans teach on baptismal regeneration because a uh, baptism quite clearly for us is how uh, the the saving work of christ jesus his death and resurrection delivered to us and romans 6 is clear on that and other biblical passages and galatians talk about how you're close with christ so through baptism what jesus christ accomplished on the cross his finished work is delivered to us through word and sacraments and then then we receive that benefit of what christ accomplished through faith alone but trusting that we're justified freely for christ's sake so there is no tension between the uh, baptism regeneration and yeah. and if sola fide from a lutheran perspective and then the, the only tension is there when you try to turn baptism to a human empty work of obedience which modern evangelicals do and then yeah when you, when you start doing that then there's that tension um, that you're creating that was never there but then Again, that's why there's absolutely no tension between baptismal regeneration and sola fide. Yeah. yeah, I think the most helpful thing I read um, on the relationship between faith and baptism was in St. John Henry Newman. And then uh, Francis Turton basically says the same, same thing. I'm sure we can agree on the uh, instrument of justification. I actually disagree with most pop Catholic apologists that'll put a, put a barrier between uh, sola fide when it comes to Protestants and Catholics. I think we basically agree on the instrument of justification. So justification comes to us externally in 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 baptism, and then internally uh, with faith. Is that God is applying through His instruments of the sacraments to us His grace, and that we are receiving that in faith. That that's that's about all. And uh, for some reason, that's a very hard concept for evangelicals to understand. Yes, it's like for, for me the way I think about it, it's like pitting baptism against uh, against faith and Christ's work is, is the same as if you were to pit the Bible against Jesus. 
Yeah. Like, like, are you adding? That is that is to say that faith alone saves, and therefore Bible, uh, the God's word doesn't save you. In both instances, both God's word, uh, in the in the written form, that's his preached. Uh, that's the preached word, and also in the element, physical element, hatred, that's the sacrament, as Saint Augustine defines it. Both of these are are means of grace, where God's. Uh, where Christ comes to us and we apprehend it through yep. faith alone. So there's there's a lot of the attention I guess comes from Gnosticism influenced evangelical thinking that yeah. if it's physical, it's work, it's bad. And if it's yeah. spiritual unseen, uh, then that's good. So uh, it's foreign to the reformers, this kind of distinction. Yeah. So the other Paul found it, send it in the chat. I don't, <laughs> oh my I don't goodness. see it. And Caden uh, sent a quote from, from that. So he said, I'm convinced that even Martin Luther knew infant baptism wasn't in the Bible and wasn't really right. <laughs> uh. So um, Giga Sniper, hot take, most high church Protestants believe what the Council of Trent teaches about justification, but just use different language. That's Newman's argument. I mean, I think um, I think we do do disagree when it comes to uh, when it comes to the formal cause of justification, our grounds of justification, is you would say it was extranos. I yes. would say it's Christ's righteousness, which is intranos, which is infused and which is uh, inherent and inco inchoate in us. So that's where we differ. Not the instrument. I think we're completely agreed upon the instrument yeah, justification. Yeah, I, I don't want to, like a lot of Protestants when they uh, do. Uh, Apologetics, they, they completely just capture a Roman Catholic view of uh, salvation to completely yeah. butcher it. They, they say that Rome teaches a false gospel or something like that, a workspace righteousness, uh, something like that. But then, uh, to be honest, th there's definitely, I don't want to minimize the difference between a uh, yeah. professional Lutheran view of justification and the Roman Catholic one. There, uh, I think there's still uh, definitely real aspects of it that are, that are uh, you can't just reconcile them. But then at the same time, I would say that. Uh, it seems to me, at least, that both Lutherans and Roman Catholics will agree that uh, a salvation was won by what Christ accomplished uh, by his death and resurrection and all of this. And then I think the real disagreement is how does that apply to us, what Jesus yeah. won on the cross. And then I, I think that's, uh, and Lutherans, of course, believe in faith alone and imputed righteousness and all of this. And then uh, Rome, from what I understand, believes in this uh, infused, gradual, uh, gradual infusion of uh, Jesus Christ through the sacramental system and all of that. So there's definitely disagreement, but at the same time, yeah. it's, it's to claim that, you know, Rome teaches a <laughs> different gospel. It's, a, uh, it's uh, quite silly. I think that's a fairly modern thing again. That's a fairly modern evangelical take that uh, mm -hmm. Rome, Rome Catholics are lost and all of that. Uh, it's... Okay, so Aiden Bitter said, do you think there's a hierarchy of God's word, i.e. what Jesus says in the gospel should be viewed as more than what Paul says in the letters to the churches? So um, with that issue, uh, talking to an Orthodox priest, this was really interesting. I've never thought of this before, but he said that when I read scripture, first and foremost, I read the Holy Gospels and then the uh, the Paul's epistles and then the the rest of scripture. So certain parts of scripture are able to apply in different ways and thus can be more suited towards uh, one's growth and holiness. Um, but that doesn't mean that they're any less God's word. All that all that saying is that in our reading of scripture, that it, it's prudent in a sense to uh, emphasize certain parts of scripture as uh, gaining more fruit 
than other parts of scripture, although no part of scripture is absent of fruit. For example, in the historical uh, liturgy of the church, the gospels are given a certain reverence in the uh, proclamation of the uh, of the gospel. Uh, then the the rest of scripture, the gospels in the three-year lectionary at least, are read through every three years where the rest of scripture is read through less. And it's the, it's the same way in uh, high church Lutheran services, actually. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with you. Um, that it's the scripture is completely inspired and and errant, but then certainly like gospel reading, uh, it, gospels are more a certain segment of them are more important than others. It doesn't mean that the, the rest of the scripture uh, they aren't important or aren't inspired, but there's there's a hierarchy. Yeah. So Caden says our justification is the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. Yeah, that's what Newman says. Uh, I also like another statement of Newman, another zinger. He's really good with zingers. He said, uh, justification by faith alone is is a short, shortened version, well, is another way of saying justification is by Christ alone. And I think if we can both agree that justification is by Christ alone, then uh, we've made a lot of leeway in, in uh, Protestant Catholic discussions on this. Matter. We should at least agree on that, yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> The other Paul, Pius V, cocks nine millimeter and points at Luther's head. Dunk the, dunk the baby's German. That's how John MacArthur thinks uh, church history went. Right. So uh, Newman was very critical of Luther, but it has been argued that he didn't understand Luther, but transplanted contemporary Lutheran views into Luther. Yeah. So uh, Newman, uh, in the 19th century, there were evangelicals in England. And Newman, a lot of times, was reacting against the contemporary evangelical views. So it can kind of be um, analogous to the way in which some Catholics today will react against evangelical Protestant views and then impute them to earlier Protestants. Because Newman wasn't perfect, but um, yeah, he made he made made quite very few mistakes. But uh, so uh, I've heard I've spoken to some. Uh, Presbyterians who say the confession teaches infused righteousness, essentially. Yes, so um, if you look in the Westminster Larger Catechism, it teaches that uh, in sanctification, so uh, I don't know if you're Catholic or not, but um, giga sniper, but um, in, in the Protestant view, uh, the state of justification is broken up into um, an initial uh, grasping of Christ's righteousness, extra nos, outside of ourselves. And then over time, uh, Christ's righteousness is infused and becomes inherent into us where we're uh, made holy and made like him. So there's this distinction made between justification and uh, sanctification. And in sanctification, according to the Westminster Larger Catechism, righteousness is infused into us. I will agree with that statement. Uh, that uh, uh, like Protestants like... Uh, Jacques Luther or Christian. Yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness. Anyway, um, I was I was going to say uh, I'm both, of course. Uh, I was going to say that for Lutherans as well, we would agree that um, um, there is infused righteousness, and there is of course the ontological change. But then, yeah. we, uh, like if, within the Lutheran framework, there's a relationship between uh, what happens in sanctification, that gradual ontological change, uh, where we become uh, transformed more into the likeness of Christ, yeah. with justification. Now, these two are related, but they're completely distinct. Justifications by faith in Christ. That uh, when I believe that I'm freely justified by Christ, for, by Christ uh, for Christ's sake, that my sins are forgiven, I'm reconciled to God, uh, that I am justified, and Christ's righteousness is imputed to me. And that because I'm justified, 
therefore, that results in the ontological change and sanctification, yeah. and that is ongoing thing. And then uh, I believe a paper he's a he's a he's a Lutheran theologian, uh, more contemporary one. Uh, uh, he he basically said that uh, from what I heard, he wrote about that sacraments actually work uh, infuse righteousness. Uh, when it comes to sanctification, but then uh, of course Lutherans wouldn't say sacraments, you know, give you piecemeal justification, uh, yeah. in the sense of Rome would frame their language on sacramentology. So that's a difference. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's get back to, uh, to James White. We're almost halfway there. Yes, so Bob's a Lutheran, and so he he does his thing. I don't believe. I can tell you can prove. When you, when you talk about baptismal regeneration for Luther, now you're raising all the issues of infantile faith, the relationship between justification by faith and infantile faith and sacramentalism. And I don't, I've listened to a lot of folks, you know, Chris Rosebaugh is a Lutheran, and so he, he does his thing. I don't believe that it's possible to put forward a consistent Martin Luther doctrine on that because it's, Luther was a book theologian of, of the heart. Read it. <laughs> yeah, just read Lutheran Confessions, yeah. Dr. White. Yeah. Theologian of the head. And the very thing I'm, Calvin, I'm Luther was a theologian of the heart, not a theologian of the head. What do you what do you think about that? Was, was Martin Luther a theologian of the head? Well, no, his, his writing probably not as sophisticated, uh, not as systematic as uh, Melanchthon, but still... Uh, it's quite clear that he has a very uh, dogmatic and systematic view on on, on baptism. And yes, it's, yeah. it's, again, it's not it's beyond dispute. It's simple reading of his work. It's not difficult, really. Yeah. Yeah. So when um, yeah, my my main critique of uh, of Luther is I've always found Luther to be uh, very sporadic and very uh, tempered. I like I'm, I'm I prefer the the cool sort of uh, logic cutting scholastic uh, Thomas Aquinas more than I do the sort of fiery trailblazing Martin Luther like those like trying to compare Melanchthon and Luther's comparing apples to oranges those two were they had two completely different means two completely different ends Luther was trying to basically fight for his life. Melanchthon was was coming in to give a more uh, systematic cut to uh, Lutheran doctrine. So it it's it, it's not exactly that Martin Luther was just uh, this emotional sort of uh, angry teen boy, although uh, sometimes he comes across like oh, that. Oh, he, he definitely uh, <laughs> could, uh, the way he writes. But uh, again, uh, this may come as a surprise to many people that confessional Lutherans actually don't believe everything. Uh, that, that, that Luther taught. And in fact, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, Luther's not an equivalent within the Lutheran tradition uh, uh, like St. Thomas Aquinas is to uh, to Roman Catholicism. In yeah. fact, uh, Thomas Aquinas has more defining, from what I heard, uh, defines in Roman theology more than what yes. Luther with, uh, Luther's role in Lutheranism. Because uh, most of the Book of Concord, actually a large portion of it weren't actually, wasn't actually written by Luther, by other authors and contributors. So. Uh, Lutherans believe and subscribe to the Book of Concord, believing that is a faithful explanation of God's word. And then not, not Luther's that writings. We, we, we don't hold that to Luther's a little pope in our uh, little pope, and we just believe whatever he believes. And you know, from what I understand, uh, we actually disagree with him on, on many issues. You know? Yeah, 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 that's uh, that's all that's very important for uh, Catholics and uh, other non Lutheran Protestants to understand 
is that, yeah, for, for us, Aquinas is the common doctor of the church. He erred on a few points, such as on the Immaculate Conception and such. But, um, but with, with Luther, he, he said a lot of things that, um, that a later development within the Lutheran tradition would not be okay with, to not be okay with uh, accepting. So if he says hi, he says uh, you guys are friends on Facebook. Yes, we're, yes, we're friends on uh, Twitter. Oh, if we were actually uh, page. we we suffered in an in, in irresistible truth before. If you have heard about that group, <laughs> yes. But anyway, yeah, is that like Facebook a Baptist friend, group? Yeah. No, no, yeah. So it's, it's a group run by like very, uh, very uh, cage state hyper Calvinist, and then they're just it's 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 a mess. That group is a mess. Like people aren't really interested in the debate; they're just anathematizing other people and then telling you're deceived and you're heretic. And then also, so, <laughs> so Heinrich says, "Is this distinction temporal or logical?" I don't know what uh, what you're. Um getting at but uh if you could clarify i can answer your question and then uh caden says bishop baron had a video that compared luther to a love-struck teenager <laughs> i love bishop baron bishop baron has a lot of good stuff when it comes to uh when it comes to beauty when it comes to philosophy when it comes to speaking to the modern culture but uh some of the stuff he says is uh is a bit I, I like to compare Bishop Barron to a love-struck teenager. <laughs> He's maybe, um, yeah, but yeah, there's a lot more uh, friendly view among among that crowd when it comes to Luther than than would traditionally be in be in um, Roman Catholic. So uh, on the infusion of righteousness, is it temporal or logical in the in the Lutheran view? Oh, it's way above my pay grade. I have no idea what that distinction means. <laughs> so does it um so in is, is there a moment in the after baptism or uh, after the reception of Christ's righteousness in which there is no infused righteousness or uh does it does it come with it a little kind of if you get what I'm saying I'm still a bit confused by the question like would you like so uh, so in like, for example, when we're talking about uh, God and his uh, decrees, God's decrees come logically after one after another, it doesn't come in time. So does infused righteousness come in time after uh, imputed righteousness or does it come logically after imputed righteousness? Well, actually, again, uh, the, that distinction of just these terms. You've never heard of that. Way above, that, yeah, that may way not above just be. My, my knowledge and pay grade. Yeah, again. so... Um, so with uh with my knowledge of of the reformed tradition it would uh it would come logically and not necessarily temporally coming from an interpretation of uh of romans 8. okay so well, uh, that's what i have to the, say from calvinists so again uh, i don't know if this really answers that question if you're justified there will be sanctification and if yeah. there's sanctification there will be uh i guess you could use the language of infused righteousness that happened through sanctification uh, but yeah yeah Okay, let's get into it. I'm going to set it back five seconds so we have context. Doctrine on that, because Luther was a theologian of the heart, not a theologian of the head. And the very thing that I'm, Calvin, I'm Calvin... I'm sorry? Unlike Calvin. I was going to say, the very thing that Calvin is is uh, attacked for is the fact that, and I'm, I'm in the same boat here, and so if we're wrong, then... But 
Calvin didn't agree I don't with think you. God is glorified by inconsistency. I don't think God is glorified by my affirming country. Who is saying that? <laughs> that God is glorified by inconsistency? No, no one. <laughs> Nobody. Contradictory Nobody. statements about about God. Who, who's yeah. saying that we just have all these contradictory statements about God and just who yeah. cares? And so, uh, but he's clearly, trying to say Lutherans uh, are inconsistent. Calvin. Luther is inconsistent. That's that, that's what he's implying here, of course. But, okay. Yeah, yeah uh, just a quick statement about... on that. Uh, again, uh, the, this whole accusation that uh, Lutheranism is not uh, logically consistent of this and. Actually, I actually can see that a reformed framework is very logically consistent and that, uh, very logical. Uh, but then uh, the Lutherans simply see a scripture, uh, see doctrines like this, that if God's word is silent on it, we shouldn't speculate. Uh, we don't go further than beyond what's revealed through the scriptures. So uh, if it doesn't really make that much sense, then we just stick to uh, we stick to the plain reading of the Holy Scripture. And if... Uh, if the Bible stands on certain dogmas, then uh, we shouldn't speculate so much. Uh, so that, that's just simply our view on on this whole thing. But then, yeah, according to him, it's inconsistent. But uh. yeah, with uh, for example, um, Saint Cyril in his gets his uh, first letter to Nestorius, he says that we shall not stretch our necks above that of the fathers. It's so a similar idea with scriptures. Lutherans don't try to stretch their necks above what's explicitly stated or implicitly stated in scripture. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> That's particularly other, when it comes to election and all that. Yeah. The other Paul says, John Calvin destroys schizo-German monk with scripture next to Jesus. <laughs> with, with facts and logic. Facts, facts and logic, yeah. About God. And so... Uh, Clearly, uh, Calvin had the emphasis in his thinking that I need to listen to all of what God has to say. And if there are things he says that my heart doesn't like, um, then my heart needs to change. I don't need to change what God has said. So uh, Luther Luther was a great theologian, but he was not nearly as consistent uh, as um, as Calvin was. And so I don't think you can put together a, a you know, uh, there I've, I've talked to Lutherans who greatly de-emphasize the concept of uh, baptismal regeneration in that sense. Who? Well, I, again, he, he's Who still operating on the framework that uh, he's still operating on the framework that baptismal regeneration is in contradiction with justification by faith alone. It's, it doesn't work like that. It, particularly if you want to emphasize on a proper understanding of justification by faith alone, you have to, uh, uh, from our perspective, emphasis on. Uh, baptism regeneration. There's a right view of baptism, and that ties in with justification. That ties in with our assurance. That ties, uh, that points us to Jesus Christ and what He accomplished. Again, he's he still uh, claimed that there's this tension, uh, implying that there's a tension between baptism regeneration and faith alone, in which there isn't. And then please, please keep going. Yeah, he, I love how he never names the people he's talking about. He's just like, yeah, some Lutherans do this. Yeah, yeah. They have a high view of baptism, but they have a higher view of justification by faith. And then I've met Lutherans who are just straight down the road. I was baptized when I was an infant. That's all I need. Voila. Um, uh, and which, which is that what Lutherans believe? No, you baptized uh, <laughs> an infant and nothing else matters. No, no. faith necessary. Well, it's a, it's a rule of thumb that you shouldn't take a, a statement from a, a poorly instructed lay lay 
laity and then try to brush that as as a, as an expression of Lutheranism. Imagine if you did that with Catholicism, yeah, yeah. like sixty <laughs> percent of our laymen believe that the Eucharist is a mere symbol. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or imagine if you did that with Baptists. Oh my gosh, you'd uh, oh ask them about Trinity. The Trinity. Just, just ask them about Trinity, a deity of Christ. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> ask your average Baptist about yeah, that. Yeah, oh my yeah. gosh. Okay, it's 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 sad that uh, there are those who claim to be Lutherans that believe that, but then that's that's just attributing a false view of ex operato, uh, like you merely get baptized as an infant, you're saved, and then somehow um, you try to brush that as a paint that as what Lutherans actually taught about baptism is just simply false. Because if you want to know what Lutherans believe about baptism, you should read again our confessions, not you know use some character view of some laity and then uh, and then try to use that as 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 a as a, as a uh, representation of Lutherans believe it's just it doesn't work like that yeah seems to me a lot like um those um easy believism when you're five years old you say a prayer and you're sealed forever i mean it seems very similar to that to me is is it because lutherans lutherans believe in apostasy correct yes uh -huh. So Lutherans believe those in a state of grace can apostatize and fall away from the faith. So like this is this is completely out of the the Lutheran mindset is even imputing easy believism or some no like yeah, what yeah. basically what he's doing is he's he's taking a uh, reform view of perseverance and then mixing that up with a Lutheran view of baptism regeneration and saying okay baptism applied therefore you're good forever that that's what he's doing yeah and. Uh... Again, uh, the callers say something comparing baptismal regeneration with uh, sinner's prayer. Again, these two—they're not even related. There's like no there's no promise in the Holy Scriptures about praying a prayer and then that that being a, that somehow saves you and that being the moment after salvation. But but Scripture quite clearly taught in Romans six, in Galatians, in. Uh, in, in Titus and and First uh, Peter uh, three twenty one and Acts and all of this, that baptism connects you with Christ and delivers you what Jesus Christ accomplished. And uh, well, anyway, keep going. Uh, so Caden says, Baptist, I must subordinate the son so I can stop the libs in my denomination. <laughs> yeah, he's talking about uh, eternal subordination yeah, of the son. I heard about that controversy. Yeah, it's not good. So did you guys take down James White yet? I actually got a report from Twitter that he deleted his uh, Twitter account and he's giving up theology after this stream. <laughs> so the other Paul, Luther's wife was a nun, hence better the trained theologically than Calvin's wife <laughs> and Calvin. Therefore, Luther beats him twice. Oh, well, that's something I wanted to mention about a uh, state of grace that we actually, I uh, think... Uh, from what I understand, Lutherans actually do believe in uh, the existent, the concept of mortal sin. Yeah. That, but then, uh, we, we, of course, we view it very differently than Rome. But then, for us, it's not so much that uh, that you committed a sin, then you're you all of a sudden cut off in grace. It's that if yeah. you have that evil intention to keep on sinning and to just abuse God's grace, it, <gasps> there comes to to a point where your heart could be hardened, and the faith yeah. is choked out. So uh, that's well for 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 us like. All sins in, outside of Christ are are mortal, and then all sins mm -hmm. within Christ, covered by Christ's righteousness, they're they're venial. But then, yeah. but, but then again, it becomes dangerous when whenever you approach a sin, and then you think that this particular sin is venial, then it, there's that tendency to just you know um, downplay the significance of the sin, and then 
but again, the point I'm trying to make is that evil intention to go on sinning and faith cannot coexist. The way we view it uh, is that uh, mortal sin and faith cannot coexist. Yeah, yeah so for, for a Roman Catholic, uh, faith, uh, mortal sin is basically practical apostasy. So practically, uh, you have denied uh, your ascent of will and intellect to the person and work of Christ. You have d faith and charity have been destroyed in your heart. And I'm sure it, thinking about it in the, in the terms of a uh, apostasy, but in your acts, I think can be a, uh, a much more helpful framework than just listing these sins here and listing these sins here and saying, okay, this sin must be mortal, this sin must be venial. Um, yeah, that's that's all I have to say about the Roman Catholic view, but uh, that, that'd be an interesting discussion. I'm having uh, eventually uh, another, I'm having a Lutheran uh, lay theologian on for an interview about uh, Christology in, in Lutheranism. It'd be interesting to get somebody on to talk about yeah, uh, you, mortal sin. You definitely need someone uh, have a caliber <laughs> theology uh, to discuss. On, on, uh, to discuss that uh, topic yeah. okay let's keep going again it depends on the on the lutheran you're talking to um and um yeah you know, there's just there's just a lot of wiggle room there i mean one of the one of the, one of the first people that um assisted us back in the early days of the uh, of the internet uh, and i had a lot of discussions about this very kind of thing and um uh, i've talked to many a lutheran that was so it's interesting the lutherans that i've talked to that have had the most interaction with rome and hence have the most reaction against Rome are the ones that emphasize the earlier Luther and his justification statements and de-emphasize the uh, idea of infant baptism actually resulting in um, uh, regeneration. And then the Lutherans who are much more ecumenical in spirit in the sense of Roman Catholicism, just the opposite. So <laughs> Lutherans that believe in uh, baptism or regeneration are just closet Romanists. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> There's okay. There's definitely tension between Lutherans and Roman Catholics. Uh, I'm not trying to downplay that, but then at the same time, you have to understand that uh, it's not like we're really in the same camp of evangelicals because their um, their sacrament, the denying theology, their sacramentarianism, for us is also an issue of concern. So again, that's just statement. Yeah, I think James White is speaking stuff that that is not related really to to the to the topic of baptism regeneration. But uh, anyway, yeah. so basically, he has no idea what he's talking about, and he's pretending like yes, he does. I, I want to be more polite, but that's pretty uh, pretty uh, clear description of what's going on here. Probably not a, a satisfactory answer for you, but I don't claim and, or any and see of a bunch us. of people. Who was that guy? There was some. Remember the guy in limited atonement. Um, Last year, sometime early, about a year ago, more than a year ago, there was a Lutheran guy that that wanted to debate unlimited atonement. So I'm sorry, I don't remember the guy. I, I responded to some. Hmm? I think that's uh, he's referring to a Dr. Cooper who actually called him. Uh, oh, his show he, on uh, I, I there was didn't a brief debate that. on limited atonement. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, reform would get slaughtered on limited atonement, especially when you. Uh, where where is it? Uh, I don't have one of them nearby, but I'll pretend like I do. So. John Davenant's On the Death of Christ, a reformed analysis of limited atonement from a 17th century reformed bishop who was against limited atonement was for a hypothetical universalist framework of the atonement, which is much in agreement with uh, Thomas's and then uh, Lutheran views on the extent of the atonement. It's on Militant Thomas Press. Uh, so uh, go. 
Uh, so go and buy it. So, uh, oh, Father Gad's here. Father James. Oh, nice. So I wish I could watch all of this, but I have my own live stream I'll be doing about half an hour. You're lame, Father James, but thank you for stopping by. Something. He, he called in, remember? And we, we had that. We had that. You know, people say, well, why you debate all these other people in this? Why won't you debate? Because to debate a loser. I, I do not believe Dr. Cooper was that rude. Like, the Dr. Cooper is the most mild-mannered, just kindest man you'll ever meet. Yes. I, I absolutely <laughs> deny that he's just yelling at James White. No, no, definitely. Like, see, it was probably the opposite way around. <laughs> James yeah. White was probably yelling at uh, Dr. Cooper. Gosh. <sighs> Lutheran is to fall into an abyss of, of uh, a massive amount of material and... Uh, it's oh, just like, it's just like Eastern Orthodoxy. I'm sorry. There's only so no, much I can do. No, it's not like Eastern Orthodoxy. And... <laughs> it's not at all like Eastern Orthodoxy. No, no. We we have a confession. It's very the systematic theology. I mean, all of this. Uh, you can read it, and it's uh, well. There's a fair share of reading, but it's not as he's not, he's exaggerating. I'm not a theologian at all. Uh, I'm not a professional theologian, and I, I'm not a pastor or anything like that. And then I'm just I was reading Luther material back in high school. And I could do it, and I could. Have a pretty good yeah, and even with the Eastern on, Orthodox, yeah. there's there are confessions in Eastern Orthodoxy that from like the uh, Synod of Jerusalem. There, there's stuff if you actually know where to look, you actually do 15 minutes of internet research where you can accurately represent your opponents. Like, believe it or not, but your opponents can be accurately represented before yes. you try to take them down. And so, if anything, uh, if anything, uh, um, Lutherans are, we're still Western Christians. This would be much easier for uh, James White to read our material. Yeah, all the stuff is in translated into English. Yes. Like, the, you can go down the street to your Lutheran pastor and you can talk to him. So uh, Dr. Cooper destroys James White with facts and logic. <laughs> so, uh, oh yeah, let's plug uh, Barely Protestant. Uh, he has a stream going on half an hour. If you guys want to just hop on his stream after this i don't know what it's about maybe he can uh give us a little bit so uh i heard that jack lynn guy's a communist okay okay and another friend of mine. <laughs> <laughs> so remember folks that j mac and white are right all of the reformers believed in baptism or generation in some form so all of them believed in workspace salvation yes it is a workspace salvation but based on whose work based on jesus's work yes so <laughs> workspace salvation, but it's Jesus's work. Yeah. I think uh, R.C. Sproul said something like that, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, R.C. Sproul, like, because you know R.C. Sproul was like rhetoric, the king of rhetoric. Yeah. Uh, not not in a negative way, but he was just, a, he was a master of uh, the art of rhetoric. And he walked up and he's like, I believe in workspace salvation. And paused and everybody gasped the work of christ and then the just like mic drop and left well actually didn't i haven't watched that clip but it's a coincidence that i used that line yeah now. so um barely protestant it's just a live q a celebrating a thousand subscribers so make sure you go and harass father james about anglican yeah. history uh give me some good material to uh because uh father james and i are having a interview later on um on 
uh, Anglican history. So Henrik says orthodoxy has dogmatic theology. Vede father uh, doom true Stan Leoe. I'll, I'll, I'll trust you on that. So, but this is completely off topic, but I think actually in a, uh, in Orthodox dogmatic theology, it was by another one, but maybe it's the same one. He affirms uh, the Protestant canon of scripture, interestingly enough. So look, he's asking for it. Please harass me. I would like this video. Jack puts his Soviet hat on. <laughs> <sighs> Okay. So yeah, good point. Sproul loved to attack Roman Catholicism, but alas, he never debated any Catholics. Yeah, I think um, Dr. Sproul was actually a bit unfair with some of his critiques of Roman Catholicism. And I say that as somebody who greatly respects him and learned a lot from him. and got some of my elementary theological education from him. Okay. There's only so much time in the day, and uh, I want to do what I do well, and it, I have no feeling whatsoever that the Lord is asking me uh, to start spending uh, those hours that I spend studying as it is, expanding that out to reading Luther and trying to figure out uh, where each of these Lutheran groups are coming from and what their influences are and how much they read of Melanchthon and, and where they are in the development. I just I just know how complex the issue is. He seems to be running from the, uh, just a quick note, uh, you can comment on this if you want. He seems to be running from the myth of the Luther-Melanchthon dichotomy. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, the whole thing, which like there was the pure Lutheranism, which for them looks like the reformed church. Oh, and yes. uh, <laughs> and Melanchthon came in and just ruined everything for them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's kind of a popular myth in, among re reform circles. I know yes. a lot of people. That's, also, he's again stating this, uh, this this claim that somehow there are different Lutheran groups on with different approach approaches on on baptism. But then, every single confession Lutheran, if you subscribe to. Um, a book of Concord, then you affirm a baptismal generation from a sola fide perspective. It's again, there's no such, there, there, there's, there's no multiple Luther on baptism, and there's just, likewise, there's no different Lutheran groups on baptism. It's we're consistent on, on our view of baptism, but it's, okay. I don't know where he continue. got this idea from, really. You know. Issues are, and um, a lot of the people that were clamoring, ah, you're hiding from this guy, just don't know what the issues are the same thing with so, Eastern, with Eastern Orthodoxy same thing so so but 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 just to, just to be clear but anybody who says just a, a regeneration and therefore justification occurs at the moment of baptism whether that's that um infant stage or I guess you could say in the way of the Church of Christ does it you have to prove your worthiness of baptism and then do it any sort of baptismal regeneration is outside the pale of orthodoxy outside the pale of biblical orthodoxy I would say Okay, Church of Christ, their view of a baptism, baptismal generation is uh, just, it's heretical, and then it's completely disconnected from uh, church history, and then it's not how Protestants will frame baptism regeneration, nor how Roman Catholics were by then. Yeah, Again, when, when it comes to the question of biblical orthodoxy and baptism, you're saved by the water and the spirit. Uh, all those who are uh, 
in order to be saved, believe, and be baptized for the remission of sins. You are raised with Christ in your baptism. It's the labor of regeneration. All who have been baptized have put on Christ. Like, if, if you go through the Bible and actually read the passages about baptism, it's pretty clear that it's talking about a certain level of the genus of baptismal efficacy. And if you're going to define the specific mechanics in different ways, okay, but don't just take a purely symbolic view of baptism and then slap the name biblical orthodoxy on it and then exclude every Christian for 1,500 years. Yes. <laughs> okay, so uh, Melanchthon was an Aristotelian corrupter. I did some, I did brief amounts of work on uh, the reformer's view of uh, Aristotle. And yeah, Luther, Luther himself um, in the 1530s, I mean, he has his early statements against Luther, calling him the chief enemy of grace, for example. Uh, but later on, he does soften a lot to Aristotle and actually approved um, Melanchthon's work on uh, the Nicomedian ethics as a uh, for for the University of Wittenberg. So, uh, Aiden Bitter, what are your thoughts on Matthew 23? And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father, which is in heaven. Well, St. Paul, uh, he said, I am, well, to the fact that I'm your father in faith, shepherding you, yes. Yeah, so, so don't... Clearly, don't, uh, that, that passage has to be taken in context. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, also but, call no man teacher, so uh, yeah, I guess yeah. you can't have teachers. Well, you're not like... supposed to call your father aunt or something like that, right? So Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, oh, there was another chat. I missed it. Wisdom is it on the incarnation. <laughs> and baptism does not save thee, but merely expresses a public direct declaration of thine own state, if thou truly believeth. St. Bob's Second Epistle of Opinions 4.13. Or, uh, or, or again, with baptismal regeneration passages, just take what Bible says about baptism in Mark 16.16, 16, or in uh, 1 Peter 3.21, or in Acts and all this. You replace baptism with uh, works of obedience, and then you immediately have something that's just completely heretical. Uh, then yeah. Basically, is that uh, 1 Peter 3.21, uh, a work of obedience which corresponds to this now saves you. Uh, get up, yeah. rise up, and do a work of obedience. And wash away your sins, calling on his name. Like, all of a sudden, this whole, whole system just falls apart. But then they have a way to bypass that by saying, um, well, in fact, you know, Bible talks about spirit baptism and water baptism. You know, water yeah. baptism only gets you wet. And spirit baptism saves you. And then that is just repackaged Gnosticism. A divorce yeah. of, of, of the spirit baptism with water baptism when... Quite clearly, Paul talked about there's only one baptism. And then uh, in, in, in the gospel, uh, according to St. John, uh, Christ said that uh, you must be born water and spirit. Water and spirit. They're not separate yeah. entities and all that. But mm -hmm. So I heard Jack discuss common grounds and soteriology between Lutherans and Catholics, though didn't Luther assert that Rome held to a false gospel? So yeah, briefly, I'm going to comment on this. So um, yes. Luther, Luther did say that, and uh, Calvin said that. It's pretty vanilla among the reformers. But uh, two thoughts. One is, which Roman Catholic group are they condemning at that time? Because there were some explicit Pelagians and semi-Pelagians in the late medieval church. That, and there was the popular view among Roman Catholics of uh, what is basically a uh, 
a re um, representation of uh, Pelagius's views on salvation, and it gets very dicey um, in some late Roman, late medieval Roman Catholic groups. And then second, where explicitly does it talk about that in the in the Lutheran confessions? Because again. Lutherans don't hold to every single word that Luther said, and neither do the reform re reformed hold to every single word that Calvin said, and and so on. Yes, um, well, on on that issue, if you were to read uh, uh, the Book of Concord, I believe very like harsh language was used against uh, Rome and then against mm. papacy and against the teaching of uh, justification and such. And then I'm not trying to downplay this because it is still a uh, for it seems to me the biggest uh, difference between uh, confession Lutheranism and Roman Catholicism still uh, justification still uh, the dividing doctrine. And then, but then that being said, the, Rome still teaches that uh, that that you know Christ came and died and redeemed sinners. So there is definitely there has to be common ground there, or else uh, you, you're essentially talking about nobody was saved for for the first fifteen hundred years or something like that. So yeah. from our view, it's it's that's a well. I think from our perspective, that there are errors and there 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 parts of a Catholicism that uh, that we would profoundly disagree with and have concern with. And, yeah. uh, and then I think likewise, Rome would consider our view of justification misguided as well. So uh, there's still that tension. I'm trying to downplay mm -hmm. that. Okay, and then also we're about a minute. Uh, away from the finishing of the video. So if you have any questions, tag me in uh, comments uh, at Militant Thomist and then uh, send your questions in. We're gonna continue. Yes, if they are simply stay an ex opera operato sacramentalism. Uh so yeah, I just wanna briefly comment on ex opera operato. So uh, that refers explicitly to, um, to the fact of baptism, not necessarily to baptismal grace. So, for example, um, uh, the, the Donatists there, or certain uh, heretical and schismatic groups of Baptists is another example. From the very fact that they intend to do that, the church, what the church does, they are baptized. That doesn't necessarily mean that uh, they have baptismal grace because there may be certain impediments to that. So I'm not sure what, if it's the same way in Lutheranism, but I just oh, wanted to clarify the Roman Catholic view because he's probably referring to uh, Roman Catholic sacramental views on that. Well, this I think is actually the, I don't know, because right now I'm engaging multiple perspectives right now, but uh, let me just uh, try to organize my thoughts here. Uh, what, what I want to say is this, that um, ex opera operato, uh, at least, that's the, the view that's rejected in Apology of the uh, of Augsburg Confession basically states that uh, you're not saved by merely having sacrament applied to you. Yeah, uh, You're not saved merely by uh, being baptized. And then it's always uh, connected with faith from our perspective. It's, uh, yeah, that's faith that is always, the Roman Catholic perspective too. Yeah, but, but, but from what I understand that Rome actually, correct me if I'm wrong, but Rome believes that baptism only saves you to the point of your first mortal sin. That it you know washes away your original sin and then uh, and opens you to to the, to to the channel of different sacraments within the Roman Catholic Church and then these sacraments you know through piecemeal fashion increases that justification and then uh, so justification therefore increased by whenever you participate yes. in the Eucharist. So so, so to briefly uh, state the Roman Catholic view, 
it is that um, in baptism received by faith, we receive the very righteousness of Christ internos, not not the uh, righteousness of Christ externos. And that uh, righteousness is inherent in us. And just as one may apostatize from the faith, so in mortal sin, you are apostatizing from the faith um, and lose that state or grace of justification. And that uh, in the sacrament of penance, uh, whereby uh, your sins are uh, absolved, baptism is in a sense renewed in you and the grace of baptism comes again. So that's that's a Roman Catholic uh, view. And then uh, similarly, in that state of justification, you may grow in justification, but that's not uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that uh, you are uh, somehow getting more into heaven, it, to, to put it like that. But it's the fact that uh, you are becoming, you, you are receiving to a greater degree the righteousness of Christ, and that in your heavenly rewards you hmm. are um, you are growing. That, but, that's the so so completely at a, at your instant of justification, if you may put it, uh, you are there. You you are completely just. You're completely righteous. You have uh, no you have no uh, guilt due to sin, although there's still the unhealthy attachments due to sin. Um, so that's that's the way in which a Roman Catholic would put justification, which may be a little bit uh, easier for Protestant ears than than a pop way of putting it. Yeah, that is that is interesting. I was wondering, like, but from my, from what I understand, that for a Roman Catholic, there can never be definitively uh, assurance of salvation, right? Mm -hmm. uh, there, um, there's not infallible insurance uh, assurance of salvation, but uh, you, you may have a a very good idea, you know. Hmm. So I can't be infallibly assured that I'm in a state of grace, except there be some um, oracle from heaven telling me, like, I'm not completely sure whether I've apostatized or not, but I can have a very, very good idea that I haven't in my participation in the uh, sacraments of the church. I'm not received, so I don't participate in the sacraments of the church, but, uh, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Because this is what uh, we would differ is that uh, we could, for Lutherans, we point back to baptism because we point back mm -hmm. to what Christ did on the cross. And yes, we could have assurance of salvation completely that our sins are forgiven. Not because uh, I think is this, this is sometimes caricatured. It's not because uh, like when we say we have assurance of salvation, it isn't out of a sense of pride that I'm so, yeah. so worthy, that, uh, that my faith is so good and so strong. Therefore, I'm certain that I'm saved. It's really... We're just banking on God's promise, Christ's promise that you are forgiven and that his blood is good enough to wash away all your sins. And then that he already accomplished uh, salvation that's required uh, for eternal life by his work on the cross. And then we look to that and we trust that we're saved because of what Jesus did. And then through baptism, uh, through preached word, and through receiving the, the body and blood of Jesus Christ, this is no other than God telling us that this is gospel for you. Believe for Christ's sake you're forgiven. Believe for Christ's sake you're forgiven. Here, have my son's body and blood and be assured that your sins are forgiven. So that's how, again, this is the difference because for us, like assurance is very extra nos. Like it's, yeah. it's very based on objective work in Christ and then receiving it uh, through uh, his objective promises through the word and sacrament. So I think th there really is a big difference there. Yeah. I, 
so I, I don't want this to turn into a debate or anything, but um, how can you be completely assured of a subjective application of that? How can you be assured that uh, you haven't fallen into apostasy or mortal sin or that uh, you were ill disposed towards the receiving of the sacraments or, or such impediments that may come to the application of the objective work of Christ? Because I can agree with a lot of what you said that yes, we look to the person and the work of Christ as our righteousness, that our justification salvation is by Christ alone through faith in the sacraments. I can, I can agree to that. But what I can agree is that I can have infallible assurance that I myself have not put some impediment in the way of unbelief or of apostasy or of, of anything like that. Hmm. Well, very good question. I think uh, from what I understand is that uh, if you if the law torments you and if you if you feel guilty for your sin, uh, then 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 you you recognize that you you're a sinner and then you cannot save yeah. yourself then. That you should just believe in the gospel and that you're forgiven mm -hmm. for Christ's sake, and that's usually we don't go further than that. There's law, there's a time for law, and there's a time for gospel. And then daily we repent, and daily we wrestle with our old Adam, and daily we return to uh, uh, God's promise to us in baptism through faith in Jesus. So uh, that's that's I think that's how we will approach it. So yeah, I really do. I really do like um, reading Lutherans on uh, on personal piety. I really I really do love the um, the degree in which Lutherans have that sacramental piety when it comes to our relationship with God in that these are God's hand reaching down to us in the sacraments and that him touching us with the sacraments, we can, uh, we can have that assurance looking to the person and work of Christ applied to us. I do really like that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's, uh, let's, um, I'm not even going to, Heinrich, I'm not even going to touch the reformed on uh, predestination. I really want to. I really want, no, I'm not going to. Maybe, maybe you guys will convince me. Um, that fundamentally denies the freedom of God in mental orthodoxy, I would say yes. If they are simply an ex opera operato sacramentalism, um, that fundamentally denies the freedom of God in uh, election, and uh, the nature of saving faith, yes. Um, does that mean that a person who believes that a child could be regenerated, but they have to be of the uh, elect and so on and so forth, it can get pretty pretty sticky there. And obviously, as a Baptist, I just go, you know, it'd be a whole lot easier just to allow the New Testament to speak wait, here. Wait till they're older. And uh, well, baptized, well baptized, I just, just, follow the New just follow the New Testament <laughs> paradigm. That might be good. <laughs> it would simplify things a whole lot. Just, just a little bit. Uh, just a little bit. Yeah. Soli Deo Gloria. From Bach, actually, <laughs> I think he they appropriated that from Bach or something. I don't know, not sure. I think he came up with uh, he popularized, he made it popular. Oh yeah, because I've seen um, I've seen, for example, in Saint Thomas's works, I've seen Sola Fide, I've seen Sola Gratia, I've um, I think those are the only one of the 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 soul solas that I've that I've seen before, but I've never seen Soli Deo Gloria, and maybe it was uh, maybe it was Bach. Yeah, I think he popularized it. Yeah. But he, Bach was a Bach was a Lutheran, by the way. So, yeah, yeah. and you know, one of his uh, his his final work was actually a choral renditioning of the of the Latin Mass. Nice, nice. Must be yeah, because beautiful, yeah. yeah, many many people don't know this, but um, in in Lutheran circles, up until 
my memory is serving correctly, up until the 18th century, it was very popular in uh, in the universities and then among other groups where they knew Latin to just have the Latin mass of the pre-Reformation church. Very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. So uh, if anybody has any questions, uh, send them our way. You know what? I think I, I think I will touch this. But uh, neither the reform can have an objective assurance of salvation since no one can know if the, if in fact he is predestined. So yeah, I don't like this um, this dichotomy of uh, of the reform believing in predestination election and then everybody else not because in whole and I've been very uh, very uh, strict about this and I, I think I've said it in a lot of places. But the reformed. In, if you're talking about classical Protestants, not necessarily like pop reform, John MacArthur, John Piper types, but they're going to agree basically with the Dominicans and with St. Thomas Aquinas, is they're going to be basically saying the same thing. And then there's also differing views within the, the Lutheran church of, uh, of uh, election. There's even some, uh, I think, was it uh, Pieper? Um, I think he was accused of, uh, of Calvinizing of the Lutheran faith because he had a higher view of election than some earlier Lutherans. So the Lutherans, um, with they in the Lutheran confessions, you can correct me if I'm wrong. They have a more basic view of what election is a, a basically stating what scripture states, and they don't go much further than that. Mm-hmm. And then Luther Lutheran dogmaticians kind of, um, will fill in the gaps a little bit and put forth different theories, but they're all within the general scope of a broader Lutheranism. So if it's helpful for, for people listening, Lutheranism is kind of like Orthodoxy in the sense, or actually it's better to uh, compare them to Anglicanism in the sense that there is uh, there is some leeway within the, where the, the confessions aren't super uh, defining very uh, nuanced issues. They're basically just trying to restate what scripture says in broad terms. And then where Lutheran theologians want to go within these, uh, within these walls that the Lutheran confessions have placed, they're completely free to. So that's uh, to be able to understand a little bit. Uh, um, adding on to that, this is why we have a, we've, we're so worked up about a, a limited atonement, simply because it ties in with the assurance of salvation that in order for me to have comfort, knowing that my sins are forgiven, I have to be certain that Christ died for sinners. Christ yeah. died for me, and then that ties in with our Eucharistic theology as well. That mm-hmm. in the Eucharist, that's Christ for you, and all this. So, and then uh, a, a formula of Concord actually just uh, basically on election basically states that you know it's not our it's not our job uh, to uh, speculate if we're written the Book of Life. Yeah, our job is to focus on law and gospel. Our job is to focus on Christ. And then mm-hmm. the example mentions that in Romans. Uh, Paul first talks about law, gospel, uh, new obedience uh, uh, in Christ, and then he later then that transition to election. So election was uh, was was put later on in, in Romans, and then first he ta- Paul talked about law, gospel, yeah. Yeah. and Christian obedience and all of this. So, so we we simply say that we're Bible silent. Uh, we don't speculate. I mean, that's mm-hmm. really yeah. So, Jack, it. do you have a YouTube channel? No, I don't. Uh, well, not his a theolo- Facebook. His Facebook rants are amazing. So uh, <laughs> I don't know if you want people on your fa- on your personal page, but uh, if well, Jack's okay to, with yeah. that, then that's yeah, I'm, cool. I'm okay with that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, John Fisher 2.0 or Original Wind Productions. He says, "Question: What do you guys make of the following argument? 
Premise one, infants cannot have faith, reformed axiism. Premise two, infants can't be baptized. Premise three, if one in, if P1 and P2, either no infant is saved by faith alone or at all. Not understanding what you're saying, but uh, with uh, with premise one, I would say that's that's a faulty premise to impute that to the reformed because uh, there is discussions of infantile faith within the within the reformed. Well, um, again, uh, it's where where in the Bible does it talk about infants can have faith? That's kind of an assumption that infant uh, infants can have faith, and that's more based on just a. I don't know, an empirical observation that babies only cry and they whine and they, they can't express uh, in word, clear yeah. words that they believe in Jesus, therefore they don't have faith. I think, uh, but then again, uh, Psalm talks about, uh, their passages talks about how you uh, you made me trust in you when I was clean onto my mother's breast and also about uh, uh, St. John the Baptist. John the ba yeah, John, yeah, the, yeah, Baptist, John the Baptist. Leaping in his womb yeah. from for our Lord. Yeah, yeah and uh, having myself in a, in, in an experiential way, having a, a child, I would say that my son has faith in me at, at a lot of times and has faith and love towards me and towards uh, my wife. And we, and those are much purer and uh, more undefiled faith and love than uh, we'll ever be able to experience now that uh, we're such trodden down by concupiscence um, in, in our adult lives. So I think that's, I think that's a little bit presumptuous for the those theologians who are going to uh, downplay the uh, the Christian life of the infant, because mm -hmm. it's like uh, some of the uh, federal visionists. Uh, they'll talk about how um, how infants when when you pass around the communion, I, in, in I guess that's what they do in Presbyterian churches. But when they pass around the communion, you'll have the the one two year olds be trying to grasp and reach out because they realize that they're not invited to the table and that they want to be part of the table. So there's, there's this understanding that, uh, that they, that they want to actively participate in the Christian life. And, uh, I, I think whoever makes that argument, I mean, Calvin didn't have any children, but, um, yeah, that's, that's not at all how babies work. Mm -hmm. uh, good points. And also I think Dr. Cooper, uh, his video on infant baptism also stated that, You've, like, first of all, infants can have faith, scripturally speaking. And even if infants can't have faith, that's not the main motivation that we, why we baptize them. Uh, because baptism achieves what it says in the scripture, and then infants are born with sin. And yeah. if baptism unites you with Christ, closes you with Christ, and then it's, it's appeal to God for a good conscience, then babies shouldn't be excluded. It's a very uh, simple way to approach uh, uh, this uh, topic. So uh, Henrik asks, uh, Domingo Banez is an example, but does do the Reformed affirm the promotio physica, so physical promotion? Yeah, basically they do. That's a very complicated topic that we don't have time to get into. But the Lutherans wouldn't. Uh, wouldn't I don't even know what physical. that word is. Yeah, the physical promotion of the will. It has to do with uh, certain debates between uh, Louis de Molina and then. Uh, Domingo Banez and the Banezians and the Molinists and oh, I'm sure you've heard of I'm sure you've heard of Molinists. Yes, yes. it has to do with the uh, the nature of uh, God's providence in relation to the will. It's pretty it's pretty niche, pretty complicated, and it's just a bunch of scholastic stuff.
So um, looking to be clear, P1 is based on typical apologetic Reformed Baptist. Give me a do apologize for not being specific and calling it a Reformed axiom. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. So I, I actually get what he's saying. And uh, so, uh, <clears throat> so basically what, uh, what John Fisher is trying to say, if I'm interpreting you correctly, is he's trying to say that faith is necessary for salvation. Infants can't have faith. Therefore, they're damned. In, in a Reformed Baptist paradigm. But they they would say that. I don't know if Reformed Baptists subscribe to this, but a lot of Baptists would say that. No, there's age of accountability, right? Yeah, that, the age uh, of accountability. That, uh, this is this arbitrary age where uh, before you reach this certain age, then therefore uh, you're not accountable for your sin. And, uh, so that makes no uh, sense in a Reformed no, term. No, no, no. It makes, I mean, it makes sense. In, in, a, in a Catholic uh, sort of way, and we define sin a little bit differently when it comes to... Uh, comes to mortal sin being um, something in which we are conscious of and something which we're reflective on. So we could we could say that, but the Reformed cannot say that. Yeah. From what I understand, uh, Reformed do agree with Lutherans that uh, original sin by itself, even without actual sin uh, being committed, is enough to alienate you and, and separate you from God and result in damnation, uh, even if you didn't commit actual sin. Just original sin by itself alienates us from God. And then... Uh, I don't, yeah, it's, I don't, people that espouse that uh, doctrine, I think it is basically denying original sin in some, to, to some extent. If that's the case, then uh, the, the Christ doesn't have to be born through uh, Virgin Mary. Uh, I, mean, but, but, I mean, conceived by the Holy Spirit. If uh, Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And also, uh, it's, uh, what is it? Uh, did, did Augustine say that who would be so wicked and not let infants be born again through baptism yeah. or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so John Fisher says, age of accountability is not faith alone and also is Pelagian. Those with original sin still have sin. Yeah, so um, talking with some of the reform, this question came up uh, among some of my reform friends. Uh, original sin for in the reformed uh, framework is, is guilt. So... Um, infants are guilty of of original sin and therefore justly deserve god's wrath and putting it in a in a reformed way so i don't understand how they get out of it i mean the in roman catholic theology there's different ideas of uh of it when it comes to for example uh, limbo and stuff and adding on doctor i'll just comment really quick is that uh we wouldn't say that those who are infants who are not baptized are, are automatically lost Mm -hmm. uh, or something like that, because uh, God is not bound by sacraments, and if yeah. He wants to impart faith to infants, He could definitely do that. And um, again, the question of uh, like salvation of infants—that's uh, just we leave that up to God's mercy. Uh, that's how. yeah. When it comes to uh, the Reformed way of putting it in the Westminster Confession, it talks about this explicitly, and it says that elect infants are saved, and then stops there. Uh, so some okay. interpret that as being the children of believers. Some interpret that as being a specific group. Some interpret that as being all infants are elect, but they kind of leave it up in the air. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'd like to have a reform person on here to, to talk about that a little bit more detail, because that is, it, I, it never, it never really made sense to me when it comes to um, infants and uh, justification in a, in a generally reformed hermeneutic. So you got anything, any other questions in the chat? I'll wait, give them 30 seconds.
Yeah, sorry for having to turn over there. What? Oh, there she is. Thank you. She's bringing me dinner and oh. some water. Yeah, wonderful Cheers. wife. <laughs> okay, that looks like no questions. So that is all. Any closing thoughts, Jack? Oh, on the video, um, basically, uh, he could have just said that he he doesn't really know. Uh, on this uh, on the for the question but then it's, again i think i already uh already ranted enough on that video so yeah okay so um anywhere we could uh find find you find your work i mean get connected to to you if any of the audience is interested well i have a facebook account that's really about it and i used to be active on a on a uh, uh, i used to run a meme page i'm not really active on that anymore but I th I th I'm thinking about maybe running my own YouTube channel, theology related, someday, very soon. So, yeah. that'd be great. Just let me know. I'll uh, bring you on and I'll help you launch that. Okay. Anything I can do to help. So, uh, everybody, um, go to my link tree. Uh, you can find my Facebook. You can find I have a Facebook group. You can find my Twitter. Become a patron and help me keep doing what I'm doing. And I will see you guys later. Thanks God for having bless. me. Yep, you're welcome.